Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. I just want to say as we began, I was driving along in this robe this morning from church to church looking for a place to work, and I stopped by here, and I walked through the door, and I said, I'm looking for a place to preach, and they said, we need a preacher. And then after I got here, I... I found this dapper gentleman who looked like he needed a little work, and I said, would you be willing to read the scripture for me this morning? And and Wayne, our dear friend, who we are so delighted, is with us much sooner than he thought he'd be with us. Uh, He probably would have been preaching if they'd have known better um, uh, this morning, but we're glad to have Wayne with us. And just as Wayne's coming up, just one quick word on the 7th of this month. This lady sitting in the back somewhere in a red mask uh, uh, will have spent 54 years of marriage with me. One of the great great saints of the 21st century. We were driving home from church one day, and I said, I wonder how many great sermons were preached in the world today. And she said, probably one less than you think. She keeps me straight on the straight and narrow. Wayne, would you come and read uh, the scripture for us this morning? Oh, well, when you applaud before, that's hope and faith. If you applaud afterwards, that's charity. (laughs) But uh, actually, it's Dr. Bob that introduced us to Naples Community Church that Sunday when Pastor Kurt couldn't preach and asked Bob, he couldn't and referred Kurt to me. And we ended up being here that last Sunday in January and, and, and preached from this pulpit. That was the beginning of being introduced to this wonderful family. Thank you. Uh, what was a dire diagnosis three months ago turned into what the doctors called the best possible outcome. And we said, not only that, it's a miracle. It's God's miracle. And so we're grateful for the prayers of the Naples Community Church family. Thank you. It's my honor to read the very words of Jesus this morning from Matthew chapter 5. Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The very words of Jesus. Amen. My wife and I, about a year ago, were watching a televised school board meeting. Very contentious. They were arguing about whether children should be required to wear masks in school. One woman stood up and screamed, I'm an evangelical Christian. Then she proceeded to tell the school board that they were of the devil. Afterwards, she launched into a full frontal attack, saying all kinds of nasty things, and ended with a couple of F-bombs. I turned to my wife and said, there goes another crazy representing Christians to the watching world. After reading the gospel for several times, uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. If I saw Christians who acted like Christ, I might become a Christian. There's a crisis today. Young people are echoing the words of Gandhi. Millennials and Gen Zs are leaving the church in droves. According to a recent survey by the Wall Street Journal, those under 30 make up only 11% of churches today. One out of five American teenagers have never been in church in their lifetime. And 64% of those who do attend church drop out after college. When asked why aren't you coming to church anymore, surveys find that the number one answer is a disillusionment with the disconnect between the way church people talk about their faith and the way they live their faith. That woman didn't represent Christ very well at that school board meeting, and Neither did the English who ruled Gandhi's India, uh, nor do a lot of parents and grandparents in church to their children and grandchildren. And so it's time, I think, that we all go back to the drawing board. And we're better to go than to Jesus Christ himself to find out who we are to be. In these few verses that our dear friend Wayne just read, sometimes called the Beatitudes from the Latin word for blessing, blessed are. The setting is very simple. Jesus has left his carpenter shop for the last time. He has journeyed south down the Jordan Valley to a place called Gilgal, just above the Dead Sea, a place where where Joshua and the Israelites crossed over into Canaan some 1,300 years before. And there his cousin, John the Baptizer, is preaching, preaching repentance. Thousands of people come out. They repent of their sins, and they are washed in the River Jordan. That is that Jewish ritualistic cleansing after you confess your sins. And now Jesus arrives. He's not there to confess his sins. He's not there to have his sins washed away. He is sinless. I believe he's there for another person. He's there to be ordained as a king. In the Old Testament, it was the prophets who set apart those who were about to ascend to the throne. They did it in two ways. They washed them with water to symbolize purification, and then they anointed them with oil to to signify 
Holy Spirit filling and empowerment. Only then could someone ascend to the throne of Israel. And John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And instead of oil, of course, after he's washed with the River Jordan water, a dove comes above him, symbolizing the Holy Spirit filling. And a voice from heaven, his father's voice, crowns him with blessing. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit drives this new king into the wilderness. And there the king of light meets the king of darkness, Satan himself, and he defeats him. And now he goes back up north, up the Jordan Valley, proving that he is a king, that he is the king over the kingdom of darkness. As he does supernatural miracles, as he heals the sick, as he casts out demons, as he calls disciples to himself. And then he arrives at a tall mountain, the tallest peak around on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. His fame has spread all over. There are thousands of people who have gathered. This, there's electricity in the air. This is high drama. For hundreds of years, they've waited for this Messiah King, and now they believe he's arrived. And now the king stands up. He begins to speak to his disciples. If you look at the text, it's very clear. He spoke to his disciples, and he invites the thousands that are there to listen in. What is this all about, this Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel? One of the shortest sermons ever given, you could only wish that your pastor would preach 25 minutes every week. It's all summed up in these first verses called the Beatitudes. And this is what it's about. I'm the king. This is my kingdom. And this is what my kingdom people look like. You want to know what Christians look like? Jesus gives us nine marks of a Christian. If you have your Bibles, it would be good to look at them. Although uh, I've memorized this, I would recommend all of you to memorize these Beatitudes. He begins with the first, the most important. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word poor is an interesting word. It means flat broke, not a penny in your pocket, bankrupt, nothing, nada. Poor in spirit, nothing of spiritual value in your life. And Jesus tells us right off the back something radical. This is the strangest kingdom in the world. It goes against everything we believe in on our Christian culture, that the only way you can get into my kingdom is not be good enough to get into my kingdom. Can you imagine a country club in Naples? saying, we're only looking for those that aren't good enough to go to our country club. Or a job that advertised looking only for the unqualified. Or a single who puts on a dating, posts on a dating service, looking for somebody deep in debt, grossly unattractive, and emotionally needy. <laughs> but that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus flies in the face of all of our thinking, and he says, you know who I want in my kingdom? I want the person who said, I thought I was going to be better at this point in my life, but I'm not. The criminal who says to the parole board, I'm going to be good, but he isn't. The dim-witted who says, tells other people how to get on the right path, but can't find it themselves. The wet-brained who says, you know, a little wine is good for the stomach's sake, but... A lot of wine is better. The preacher, the priest, the, the author, otherwise known as the cheat, the scandal, and the liar. Those of us who've, 
who are disciples whose cheese is falling off the crackers so many times, we finally just say to hell with cheese and crackers. That's radical. You want to get into my kingdom? You've got to be aware of your sinfulness, painfully aware of your sinfulness, of your spiritual bankruptcy. I'm not calling the arrogant, the proud, the loud. I'm not calling those who, who judge other people, who are intolerant of other people. Those who say, I've arrived, thank you very much, I don't need any more. He's calling those that are spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you get to that point, you'll naturally come to the next point. And by the way, these parables are not, or these beatitudes are not random pearls lying on a table disconnected. Uh, these follow one after another in logical, logical sequence. Jesus puts a string through them. They all tie together. You go from one to the next to the next. And when you get to the ninth, you go right back to the first, a never-ending circle. This is just for people who want to get in the kingdom. This is for people who stay in the kingdom. This is present tense. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Those that were recently saved and those that have been saved like Wayne and I for years and years and years. And if we understand the poverty of our spirit, we'll go to the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn over what? And that word mourning means to be shattered. It means to be undone. It means to be inconsolable. And who are those? Those are those who realize how spiritually bankrupt they are, how far short they fall of what they want to be and ought to be. And they mourn over that. Jesus told the story of a tax collector. He fleeced God's people. He sold out his country, the Roman army of occupation. He's hardly ever darkened the doorway of a church, but today he's in the temple. He's in the shadows. He's hiding because he's ashamed of who he is. He's a combination Benedict Arnold and Tony Soprano all wrapped up into one person. His only friends are other mobsters or prostitutes who say they love him just to get some part of his ill-gotten gain. And as he stands in the shadows, he's suddenly overwhelmed by his poverty of spirit. And he begins to pound on his chest. And he begins to weep, and he says, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That man went down to his house justified. Have you mourned about your sins? Have you even been aware enough of them to mourn over them? I think of our children, of our grandchildren, saw Christians, conservative Christians, mourn more and pontificate less. More aware of our own poverty than how other people make the wrong choices, how other people have the wrong politics, how other people have the wrong social views. If they saw more of that from us, we would see our churches filled again with young people. Which leads to the third thing, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And when you've heard Jesus comfort you, when you've cried out because you've fallen short again, and when you hear Jesus say to you, I've always loved you, I specialize in loving the poor in spirit, I will never love you any less than... I love you now or any more than I love you now. I love you the way you are. When you hear that, you're suddenly struck that you no longer need to compare yourself to other people. 
to get your own sense of affirmation. And that's what this word meek has to do. It has to do with that odious thing we do in our culture called comparison. I'm better than that other person because I have a better set of politics, a better set of social views, a better lifestyle. I make better moral choices than they do. Jesus tells in that same story about the Pharisee who also was in the temple that day. The Pharisee is part of a reformed religious movement in Israel. The Pharisee is the Michael Jordan of God's kingdom. He can slam dunk the Ten Commandments from center court. And he prays a prayer too as he looks over and he wonders why anybody let that tax collector into the house. And he begins to pray, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. God, I tithe. I give alms to the poor. I make the right moral choices. I keep all the rules, the regulations, the traditions of my religion. God, I bring my A game every day. But the difference between he and the tax collector, he compares himself to, the tax, to other people. And he feels good about himself. The tax collector compares himself to a holy God. And he's undone. We need to get rid of, as Christians, that, 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 that whole problem we have with comparing ourselves to other people and feeling better about ourselves than we ought to. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, and the tax collector, the one who said, I'm the chief of sinners, went down to his house justified. Which leads to a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Only those who know, those who starve, those who are incredibly undehydrated are ever going to be hungry or thirsty. It's only when you know you don't have a righteousness of your own that you begin to hunger and thirst for something that's not available in this world, something that's transcendent. And Jesus comes and offers a message. He said, I am that righteousness. And if you realize you're hungry and you realize you can't, you're thirsty for something you can't produce in your own life, and I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, the flesh never has enough flesh to satisfy the flesh. And the flesh never has enough flesh to fix the flesh. So Jesus comes along and says, hey, come to me, and I will fill you with my righteousness. And that's what salvation is all about. It's simply saying, okay, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning over that. I, I look at myself and see myself as the chief sinner in the world. Would you come and fill me with righteousness? And he says he will. He will. Which changes everything. Once I understand who I am in the light of Christ, I become a different person. He goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they will find mercy. You see, it's only those who have been forgiven who can forgive. Only those who have been loved much who will love much. And when I see Christians that are bitter, resentful, angry, holding on to grudges, condemning other people, intolerant of other people who they think are less than they are, when I see that, I know that these Christians have never understood the mercy of God, or they've forgotten the mercy of God they once knew about. Those that are merciful, he says, will find mercy, first from God and from other people. I think our children want to see us with that attitude. I think if they see that from Christians today, we're going to see them come back to the church, come back to Jesus. 
Which leads to the next thing, blessed are the poor in spirit, or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I need, to I need you to understand that word pure because we're often confused about that word pure because did he just say poor in spirit? <laughs> How could the poor in spirit say they're pure? Uh, I need a handkerchief. To, uh, I've got a handkerchief right here. Uh, thank you very much. Could, would you mind just... Yes, this is a very valuable handkerchief. I didn't want to just trust somebody to have, people don't have handkerchiefs anymore like they used to. This is a very special handkerchief. This was uh, Willie's father's handkerchief. But, um, but um, what does the word pure mean? It means to be open. The literal word is to be an open cloth. It's always dangerous to open somebody's handkerchief. You never know what they've left on that handkerchief. Fortunately, somebody cleaned this after Willie's dad went on to the Lord uh, to be open, to be transparent. You know, when we use this handkerchief to get rid of stuff that's not very nice within us, we crumple it up and we don't want anybody to see it. And often our lives are like that. We think we have to hide the worst things about ourselves and pretend to be somebody we're not. We all have a closet full of masks that we wear at parties and with other people to pretend we're somebody we're not because we're afraid if they really knew who we were, they wouldn't like us. And if God really knew who we were, he wouldn't like us. But God says he knows who we are. We are poor in spirit, but he loves us anyway. And he accepts us anyway the way we are. Isn't that good news? You see, Christ accepts us the way we are. It's Christians who don't often accept us the way we are. And when we understand that God loves us the way we are, and we understand that who we are, then we can be open. We can be transparent with our lives. Isn't that wonderful? And then we become peacemakers, because having found peace with blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And why? It's because Jesus was the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, and he came to bring peace. A peace with between us and God. And when we have peace with God, we have peace within ourselves. And when we have peace with God, we can have peace with others. And when I see people in our polarized age, and I'm talking about a lot of Christians who are going after people on the other side, whether it's politically, socially, or whatever today. When I see people that are, that are cantankerous and angry and frustrated, I know that they've lost the peace of God. Because when we have peace with God, we have peace with ourselves. And even people who disagree with us, people we find fault with, people we wouldn't want to be like, even those people we understand are sinners just like we are. And God has shown us mercy, and we should show them mercy. We can be real with them, and we can bring peace to them, which, of course, leads to the final beatitude, the one that nobody likes. I noticed in that song by Hillsong that they kind of didn't spend much time on that last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. <laughs> Did you notice, not for being a jerk or loud or nasty, but persecuted for righteousness' sake? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting? He begins the first beatitude by saying, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and he ends the last one by saying, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Why was Jesus persecuted? Why was he abandoned, rejected, and finally crucified? because of who he was, because of what he taught, and because he became a clear and present danger to the culture of his day. And if you are who Jesus is, and if you live like Jesus, you will become a clear and present danger, some of you to your family, some of you to your friends, some of you to your place of business, you will. And you will be canceled, and you will be rejected. 
And Jesus says, don't be surprised about that because even the prophets of old experienced that. And what happens when you're persecuted? I don't know about you, but when I get canceled, somebody tells me off. I go on Twitter sometimes. I can't, you can't believe some of the things people have said to me on Twitter. And I want to write back a really nasty response. And I realize I don't do persecution very well. Do any of us? And I'm right back at the first beatitude. I see the poverty of my spirit. I don't even handle well if somebody honks at me in traffic. That's not even big persecution, but I don't handle it well, and I realize again. Let me give you an illustration of how this works as we bring this to a close. I was fresh out of seminary, about 29 years of age, a little bitty church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Bill, not the Bill who sang this morning, and wasn't that a wonderful song? It was wonderful music, uh, the violin, the piano, the singing, everything was so great. And I almost felt like I didn't deserve to preach after all that. But brothers and sisters, uh, I was in this little tiny church, and Bill was the wealthiest builder of houses in the whole uh, Tulsa area. Uh, Bill was a pretty new Christian, but Bill hadn't gotten very far in what we call sanctification. He still drank too much. He ran around with women. Uh, he was not kind to his family. Uh, and um, But he came to church every Sunday when he was sober, and he sat in the Second row, and I remember saying that Sunday morning, you need to go out and share the gospel with somebody this week. So along about Wednesday of that week, Bill's in the men's locker room at the Southern Hills Country Club, one of the most prestigious country clubs in America, and he's already finished one bottle of, of um, bourbon, as has the guy he's playing poker with, and they're both two, three sheets to the wind, when Bill says, you need to come to Jesus. And the other older guy says, I'm never coming to Jesus because Jesus is for sissies. Bill said, take that back. He's not for sissies. He is too for sissies. Bill turned over that table full of cards and chips and, and, and bourbon bottles. And, he's, and these two old guys started fighting like old guys do, swinging at each other, missing each other by a country mile. Then they grabbed each other and they started rolling. They rolled down the hallway, out the door, onto the front yard of the Southern Hills Country Club at dinner time. Hundreds of people are up watching them through the plate glass windows. It isn't long before somebody calls 911 and three squad cars show up, lights flashing. The next day in the Tulsa world is a picture of Bill on the front page prestigious builder arrested for drunk brawling. The next Sunday, Bill said to me, I don't think that's how you wanted me to share the gospel, was it? <laughs> I said, probably not. <laughs> a few days later, his wife called me. Bill was on a tear, and he was being very abusive. So I drove out there, a 29-year-old guy, ready to face a big, burly 65-year-old guy. And he was three sheets to the wind again. And I began to give him my best straight, just out of seminary talk. At which point he grabbed hold of me with a few cuss words. He grabbed me by the back of my shirt, the seat of my pants, and he literally threw me out the door. I'm lying on the porch. Not a position seminary professors ever told me I would be in. Persecuted for righteousness. And then I did something I can't believe to this day. I literally stuck my middle finger up at him. 
and I threw a couple of F-bombs at him. I'm being real transparent, only what I'm sharing isn't as clean as this handkerchief. I went in my car and I was going to drive anger. I was angry when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I began to think to myself, I can't believe that I just graduated for seminary or ordained to the ministry and this is how I behaved. I can't even believe I'm a Christian. I've got to be the world's worst pastor and surely not and surely amongst the world's worst Christians. And I remember weeping in that car uncontrollably. And I remember saying to myself again and again, I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't know if I said with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, but I felt like it. Oh God, I need more of your presence. I need more of your righteousness. I need a filling of your Holy Spirit because I can't do this on my own. It was at that point I realized how God was so merciful. I felt a peace come over me, and I knew he still loved me, and I knew he had been merciful to me, and I knew I had to go back to Bill. And I knocked on the door, and Bill opened the door, still angry, and I said, Bill, I want to ask your forgiveness. And I was honest about who I was in front of Bill, and I remember him just stepping back like this. He had never heard a preacher do what I did. And I said, Bill, I love you the way God loves you. Not the way God does, but as much as I can. And, and I want your forgiveness, and I want us to still be friends. And I remember tears came to Bill's eyes, and we made peace. You know, brothers and sisters, Bill didn't become a paragon of virtual after that. He struggled for a long time. And, I'm not sure he ever reached full, and I know he didn't ever reach even close to full sanctification before he died. But that's what it means to live the Christian life. I've been over, I've been around that circle so many times, and I would like to tell you that what would be true, what I thought would be true at the beginning, if I just get righteous enough, I'll never have a problem with righteousness again. And I tell you, the more Jesus is in my life and the more Jesus works in my life and the more life works in my life, the more I see new areas of my life that are not righteous, that need to be changed. That's the Christian life. And I think if our children see that in us, it would change everything. As I close, I, 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 I think of a story told by Alexander the Great. They were deep in enemy territory. Guards were on full alert. The camp was on full alert. Alexander the Great was walking out on the outer edges of the camp when he came upon a soldier that had fallen asleep and was lying on the ground. He kicked that soldier in anger. The soldier, when he realized who he was, jumped to his feet. He's standing in front of the great Alexander the Great. And then Alexander said, soldier, what's your name? And he stammered, I began to stammer, my name, my, 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 and he said, soldier, tell me, what is your name? And he finally blurted out, my name is, my name, sir, is Alexander. And Alexander looked at him and said, soldier, either change your name or change your ways. I think Jesus, if he were standing here today, would say, I love you the way you are. I love you the way you are.
believe what I've said about my followers and live like that. And you will become the light of the world. You will become the salt of the earth. I believe we are at a critical point in America today. We're losing our next generations. The problem isn't in the state house, it's not in the courthouse, it's not in the White House, it's not in the schoolhouse. The problem today and the solution today is in the church house. It's in your house, it's in my house. And I believe that God wants to bring another great awakening to America. If only his people would live like his people. So I asked Bill and Billy and the, the, the team if they would lead us in a, in a prayer this morning, an old hymn that you sang when you were young, an old Baptist hymn, I think, I Surrender All. Can we make that our prayer this morning? I love you. Do you know how much Jesus loves you today? In spite of all your problems and mess-ups, he loves you. Now go out and love people the way he loves you. Let's, let's sing this as our prayer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.